0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Yanks Sharp Stats with the Yankee Rose, the queen of stats herself, Katie Sharp. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Now time to learn a little bit. Katie, Jake, how are you guys doing? Katie gets to go first. Jake, don't even talk.
1: Yes, thank you. Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) Aha. I am... uh... I am. I'm doing good, Jimmy. Thank you very much for letting me go first here. Um, I am. You know, one thing though. I am about ready for this West Coast stuff to end. Luckily, tonight, um, as we record this on Tuesday, it is the final. What I would like to call after dark start. Um, although it is way after dark and way into the night for us on the East Coast. Um, start and, uh, looking forward to just getting some normal, getting back into the rhythms of the normal, um, baseball, uh, baseball season in the, in the final month. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun road trip, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, I remember there was a, after we got swept in Oakland, uh, one of my Twitter followers tweeted at me, uh, so, uh, when is it time to panic? Can you look up the last time that the Yankees got swept on a road trip? And this was, meanwhile, the first th- three games of a, I believe, a nine-game road trip. And this guy was already worried that we were going to get swept the entire <laughs> trip. And I was like, yeah, check back next week uh, when it's a possibility. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, I hope that um, most of Yankee land has sort of gotten back after the uh, after the Oakland debacle. And I uh, realized that, yeah, once again, this team is pretty good
0: yeah we had someone i forget if it was a pregame show or somewhere after the oakland sweep and they said what is your what is your goal now like what do you want to walk away from on this west coast trip three and six like would you be happy with that and i said no five (laughs) and four just like i said before the west coast trip started like why has it oakland sucks we lost now they got to make up for it and so far they have we got two games left they're at Four and four right now, so these last two games. No, they can't. That can't be true. Three and four, no,
2: three and four. Three
0: yeah. and four. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, win these next two, and it's a good trip.
2: Yeah, we got the Tanaka. Uh, as people are listening to this, they already know the result. Tanaka shoved. He looked incredible. He outpitched Kikuchi. Uh, so oh, it's Tuesday. Great. Yeah, Tanaka Tuesday versus Kikuchi. That's big time. Uh, and, yeah, and then Paxton Sheffield, the 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 trade bowl, as people are calling it. So, yeah, I'm I mean, so they can still do good it. things in this series. um I mean, even if they split these final two, you walk away having one of two of three road series. And, Katie, it's funny you mentioned the West Coast trip, and J- John and I kind of looked at each other earlier today, and we were like, why aren't we more zonked out? Because last w- West Coast trip, uh, I mean, I was, I became a different person. I, I was walking around like goofy, like wood around Disneyland and I haven't been to Disneyland, but I figured uh, it
0: out. Did you?
2: The first game of that West coast trip was the 14 inning game in Anaheim.
0: Oh, and
2: that just set things in a spiral. And I think that was the game that LaCroix gave us the win. Um, but, yeah, that, that started the West Coast trip, which was just ridiculous. And then, uh, yeah, and, uh, Katie, what you were saying, obviously we all saw on the Internet that the Yankees sky was falling for this season. And I think it's funny. You beat the Dodgers. Oh, also, Gary Sanchez, the fastest AL player ever to 100 home runs. That's a stronger argument than everyone else who says, Hey, that guy's a bum. So, I don't know. I I think we've got some ammo for the good guys here, and I, I think we're going to have more ammo today after Sharp Stats.
1: Hopefully. Hopefully uh, people just just uh, be a little bit smarter, enjoy the game a little bit more after listening to this episode.
0: Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. I am excited for the Paxton start. I've said this like a million times since I found out it's Paxton at Sheffield. I'm so excited to overblow that and just be like the trade ball <laughs> Let's do it. And that's our first subject today is James Paxton and what he has done differently. Katie's going to dive into the stats and let us know exactly who's this guy. Who's the guy we saw earlier? How much did the Dodgers help us by not putting Muncy and Bellinger in the first three hitters? That's my own personal theory. Just absolutely dumb dumbness from them. I appreciate it. A whole bunch. I read somewhere, Katie, and this is kind of exactly what you'll be telling us more of that he's throwing his off-speed pitches a lot more um which is interesting i don't i don't i I my before you dive into it my curiosity hearing that comes from what's the chicken or the egg like does throwing the curveball more make his fastball look better or is because his fastball has been better he's allowed to throw his curveball more because he, when he throws the fastball he's throwing it in the zone where he wants it so I don't know. And you might, you probably have a whole bunch of other stuff related to Paxton. So let's dive right into that. What's he been doing differently that's working?
1: Um, all right. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, you are definitely, those are great questions and hopefully I will answer those um, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this conversation. Okay. Um, so the one thing I, there's two things I want to do here with Paxton. The first thing is kind of just a, a short thing here in that I just want to mention the fact that, you know, you look at his overall line this season, it was it a four, four ERA, um, the batting average, the OPS against are not looking great. I mean the, the actual, it's it's actually a four point, yeah, 4.43 ERA, which is actually, you know, hello, that's better than league average, um, in this day in world, in, in our juiced ball world. Um, But still, you know, obviously it's a a bit of a disappointing line considering what our expectations were for him. But the one thing I do want to make sure people understand is that he actually has pitched. The core components of the way that he has pitched is better than what his ERA suggests. So this is not to say that, you know, he's getting unlucky or anything like that. He absolutely, you know, what happened, happened. But based on what I like to use is the quality of contact measure metrics that you can find on stat tasks, those expected statistics, he deserved to have better results than the actual results. So I'm not saying that he's been unlucky or anything, but he deserved better ones. And the way that I looked at that is, like I said, I looked at his expected stats, which is based on quality of contact. That's exit velocity and launch angle. And then you add it back in also, um, so his strikeouts and his walks. And, um, he has the biggest difference between his expected stats and his actual stats of any starting pitcher in the majors with that's faced at least five hundred batters this season. So that's roughly about a hundred pitchers. So you know the biggest about, difference yeah. between the how he sh- difference
0: how he should be and how he's actually been. Yes.
1: Yeah. So if you look at the three things that Statcast looks at is batting average. He has the largest difference there, about a thirty point difference. He, slugging percentage he's got about a uh, an 80 a 90 point difference there between his expected and his actual um, that's the biggest and then his woba um, is about a 37 percent difference a 30, 37 point difference sorry those are all points points of uh batting average slugging and woba uh, those are all all three of those are the largest in the majors among that in that subset of, of pitchers so and what it does is it basically The actuals are pretty much, you know, pretty high of worse than average you know, pretty high above average. And his expected numbers are actually pretty much below average. Um, I mean, below average, meaning better than average. Sorry about that to confuse people. So basically the way that he's expected to pitch based on his quality of contact, his strikeouts and his walks is of a, a good pitcher, you know, a better than average pitcher, not an elite pitcher. I'm not saying he's you know, Granky or, you know, he's Furlander or anything like that, but a better than average pitcher, whereas the actual results show that he's been a pretty bad pitcher, you know, um, in terms of batting average, slugging, and Woba. Not terrible, but, you know, below average for sure. So that's the first kind of caveat that I want to get out there. Um, And the other thing I wanted to say about that in that regards about his entire season is that he has actually faced the sixth toughest set of lineups in the majors among pitchers um, with at least hundred innings pitched. And that's looking at opponents OPS, the combined OPS of all the batters that he's faced. Um, And uh, so, I mean, he's, you know, he is what he is, but you kind of have to look at it also with those, with those, uh, you know, with those uh, caveats that, um, you know, he's faced a lot of tough players And his expected stats are actually better than what he has, uh, than his actual results. So he's faced the Um,
0: sixth, the opponents that he's faced is the sixth toughest of any pitcher? Yeah. I will say, though. I mean, that's of note, but like, we want him to be a dude who does that.
1: Exactly. I just, yeah, I mean, that's what you want. You want him to be able to dominate those lineups, obviously. He's not. Um, but it's something also to be noted um, when you're looking at what he's done this season. Um, so I just thought I would throw that out there. The big, the big thing to me is the the expected stats versus the actual stats. Um, in that, you know, we can't, we can't, you know, we have to consider that when looking at his entire season as a whole. And we know he's he's gone through some highs, some lows. And, um, you know, what he's been doing recently actually is the next thing that I want to talk about is, um, you alluded to, you know, you read article, you read somewhere that he's made some changes, uh, to his pitch mix recently. And yeah. And, um, Lindsay Adler at the athletic wrote a terrific article, uh, at the beginning of August, the first week of August about the changes that he made beginning with his August second start. I believe that was his second one in a row against Boston, um, and, um, it's actually, it's made him the best pitcher on the Yankees in the month of August. So in the month of August, he has a 3.56 ERA and his batting line against is a 209 batting average, a 267 OBP allowed, and a 355 slugging allowed. Those are all very good numbers. That's a, a 622 OPS, if you're, if you're looking at that, um, over five August starts. So, um... You know, clearly that's the best on the Yankees, and you know, just for for shits and giggles, I kind of looked at you know because that's actually that's right around the trade deadline, right? Remember mm-hmm. when we were everyone was screaming, why didn't we get Bauer? Why didn't we get Stroman? Should we why
2: should didn't we, we get throw Bum Paxton Gardner? in a should we throw Paxton in a trade for Luis Castillo? You think the Reds will bite? Yeah, whatever.
1: Um, so I wanted to see, hey, you know, I let's check in on those guys, right? We got Paxton with a 356 ERA in uh in um in August. I'm sorry. Domingo lowered his ERA to 386, so he's doing pretty good too. Uh Trevor Bauer happens to have a 7.62 ERA in in August. Marcus Stroman checks in there uh 4.58. That's not good. Um and Robbie Ray is is injured. And if you want to throw Bumgarner in there, he is doing well. He has a 360 RA, but honestly, the Giants were not going to be trading him. He didn't go anywhere. Um, So that really was not a possibility. And and don't even talk to me about Zach Greinke because he was not coming to the Yankees. So, you know, James Paxton doing just fine in August after the trade deadline. Um, So I'm going to get back to that. My initial point here is – you know what changes did he make? And Lindsay, as I mentioned, Lindsay Adler wrote this terrific article in the Athletic. I suggest if you if you are a subscriber, check it out. If you're not a subscriber, what are you doing? You should subscribe. <laughs> um, she's she's an excellent beat writer, and it's a terrific uh, terrific website. Anyways, um, so what he did is basically he decided that he was going to sort of reduce his fastball percentage and increased the percentage of, of his curveball. He kept his cutter percentage about the same. And the reason why he did that is just because he what he wanted to do is they felt that there wasn't a big enough velocity difference between the cutter and the, uh, and the fastball. It was only about 7 to 8 miles per hour. So basically, he wasn't really doing, it wasn't really a good pitch mix because he was only, wasn't really deceiving anybody with those two pitches aside from the movement that they get. The differences in the movement, um, and they really felt like if he brought back his curve um, and made that a more prominent pitch, that would that has a fourteen mile per hour difference between his fastball, um, that it would just uh, it would keep guys off of his fastball and just you know keep them guessing with their timing. So that's the whole point of mixing your pitches is to keep the opponent guessing. Um, you know, oftentimes when you throw one pitch too much, you know, it's a lot easier for, for, the, for the batter to time it, to get set up, and to be, a, to, to be predictable. Um, and uh, one quote I want to bring out here that Paxton said, said is that, uh, he said of his uh, fastball and cutter combination, and this is in the article, guys can kind of cover both of those pitches with the same bat speed. They can kind of take my fastball and hit it away or they can catch it a bit more out front with the cutter. So then throwing that curveball that comes in at 80 to 83 just makes them respect a different pitch speed. So they have to have that thought in the back of their mind that, oh, this might be slow. And then that maybe makes them a little bit late on their fastball. And I think that that's sort of the perfect explanation of why he made those changes. Um, And as I outlined before, so just some numbers that I want to highlight here first and before we get into look, you know, specifically what happened. So before August 1st, this is the, the season before August 1st, he made these changes. He was about 64% fastball, 14% curve, 22% cutter. Since August 1st, his fastball percentage, forcing fastball percentage is down to 50%. His curveball has increased to 25%. So it's gone up. From 14 to 25 and a half percent, and the cutter has gone down a little bit, but basically stayed the same. It's at about 21 percent now. So it was 22, 21. So really, what he's done is he's introduced that curve to give you know get the greater velocity separation, and paired that with a decrease in the fastball, so that he's a lot less predictable. Um, and you know, one thing I mentioned that is that, you know, I mentioned the velocity separation is key. The 14 difference between the fastball and the curve compared to the 7-mile-per-hour difference between the the fastball and the cutter, 6-7, to take whatever you want. The other thing I noticed was that it's also a lot better in terms of tunneling. So I'm not sure if if, if people understand what tunneling means, is that what pitchers ideally want to do is they want to have the pitch come out of their hand All their pitches come out of their hand pretty much at the same point, um, you know, at the same release point so that it's, you know, hard for the batter to kind of figure out which one's coming. And then they also want to have the pitches be very close to each other at what's called the tunnel point or the decision point. And that's about halfway to home plate. And that's where basically the batter has to decide whether Mm -hmm. he's going to swing or not. It's close enough to the plate that he has to decide at that point what he's going to swing at, what he's not going to swing at, and he has to figure out what am I seeing there?
0: Yeah, if you um, if you go pitch ninja on t- Twitter, you'll find it. Or I even posted a good one that Paxton had. I think it was versus Bellinger, where he worked mm-hmm. on the tunneling perfectly. But uh, yep,
1: and you you can find those stats at Baseball Prospectus. They have a great database of, of pitch tunnels there. So I looked at basically what happens when he tunnels his forcing fastball with his. Cutter, and what happens when he t- when he pairs his when he when he pairs his forcing fastball with his curve? So throwing the fastball first, then the curve, or the fastball and then the cutter. And when you do the fastball and the curve, is actually at the release point, it's about one and a half inches closer um, than when he pairs his fastball and his cutter. So that's a, that's a, a huge difference. Actually, you may not think about it, but one and a half inches at the release point. Um, a tighter it makes a lot of a difference and then at the tunnel point it's about a half an inch closer when he pairs when he does a uh, a fastball curve pair compared to when he does his fastball cutter pair so not only is he getting that velocity separation that we talked about before which is key he's also getting better tunneling um with his pitches when he uses the curve and the fastball together uh, because they're much closer together at both the release point and the and the uh, and the tunnel point the the you know the decision point so it's harder for the pit for the uh, for the batter to decide which pitches which pitch is coming.
0: Yeah, I, this is the stuff that is so good that you know the, the casual baseball fan just doesn't isn't really aware of. Not to knock them at all, it's just it's really not talked about that much on broadcasts. But uh, you know, people that just sit down and watch a game would think that every pitch is thrown with the purpose of getting a strike or uh, out on that pitch when so many pitches are thrown because it's the appetizer for the next pitch, which is the main meal. That's basically what tunneling is. If you see James Paxton, mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch Oraldis Chapman throw his inside fastball and then the slider next, like he might throw a high fastball, knows it's a ball. And Mariano Rivera used to do that all the time with high fastballs and two strikes. Him and Posada loved it. But it's such it's cool that I didn't even really think that they have data like you just presented, like when you do these two pitches, pitches together and these two pitches together. Here's all the math and the data and the results on it. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I suggest if people are really interested in this, you know, check out Baseball Prospectus. They do have all the pitch tunnel stats there. Um, and there's some really, really good articles there explaining everything. Um, also, driveline base, um, driveline. Um, which is a uh, sort of a pitch lab out in Seattle, um, a pitcher's lab out in Seattle. They do a lot of work with pitch tunnels as well. Um, but yeah, if you guys are, into, if anybody's interested in that, you know, definitely Google that or, you know, even reach out to me if you want. Um, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not a pitching coach. I never was a pitcher. Um, proud second baseman here. Yeah. But, um, but yet. I've learned <laughs> yet, but I've learned, you know, I've learned a lot just from reading stuff and looking at pictures and, and the numbers. Um, so those two things I really wanted to highlight about his, the differences in his pitch mix. The other thing related to that is he actually added, he added a changeup, which is another interesting wrinkle because that adds sort of another velocity band that goes between his cutter and his curve. It comes in at about 85 miles per hour. So the cutter's about 88, the changeup is 85, and the curve is about 80, 81. And then he's got his fastball, 94, 95, 96. So he's – and the interesting thing is he threw – what was it? He threw six six change-ups before August 1st. The entire time, that's, you know, what, three three months, four months. In the last month, in just August, he's thrown 17 already. So not – I mean, he's not throwing, you know, 50 or whatever, but he's sprinkling them in there, and I think that that's just another way that he can keep hitters off balance. Um, And so that's interesting. It it doesn't really – hasn't really gotten many results with it, whiffs or or whatnot, but it's just one of those things that you know you batters now have to be aware that he has sort of in the back of his pocket. Yeah, and um
2: and I, I sorry, yeah. Katie, I there. uh I, I'm 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 a little tuned into this uh more than usual because I know when Paxton bottomed out, that's when also all the Larry haters were gathering power. And I was like, "All right, let I I want to dive in the deep end of this and see what I find." Um, and I'll, I mean, I'll start with the changeup, like you mentioned. And I think you're right. You know, he's right now. He's throwing it four times a game, something like that. And I mean, it's clearly a pitch he's not confident in. Um, but if you could throw it a couple times a game, and it's something else a batter thinks of. And I mean, just bury it in the dirt because you clearly he doesn't trust it as like an out pitch. Hey, if you get a couple yeah. swings, cool. If you just have them thinking about it, that's a win, even if all four are just balls in the dirt. So I think that's interesting with the pitch mix. The other thing that I, I found when I originally dove into this was that uh, his, his pitch mix from Seattle, I think he threw the cutter 10% of the time in Seattle. Um, and I think the curveball was 20, and up until August, they basically had flipped that, Mm. and from what I could tell on paper, that made sense, because I believe when he was in Seattle, batters hit like 200 against the cutter, and they hit like 225 against the curveball, or something along those lines, and so when he came over, my assumption is that and if you want to get mad at Larry for this, knock yourself out. Don't care because it was a decision amongst Paxton, the analytics team, and everyone. But they made a conscious decision to throw that cutter more. And I mean, you can actually start getting into fun stuff with Cece and Andy Pettit and kind of the the Yankees heritage of the cutter. There's that Mariano guy too. I guess I was keeping it big lefties, but I, it's it's everything you're saying is it, it makes a ton of sense, especially if if you you know you said you weren't a pitcher, Katie. Um, and again, that's yet, but anyone that's been in a batter's box, that first time you, you expect a pitch of one speed and you see a pitch of another speed, you go, whoa. Um, and, and I just think even if the curveball isn't, isn't as effective throwing it, you know, if you throw it 20% of the time and hitters hit it a little better, that pitch helped make the fastball better, the cutter better. And, you know, Kind of the changeup, but not really. But I and and I think that's everything you've pointed to so far. Yeah,
1: um, and I do want to point out just like two things that I really. I, so I dug into this, you know, wh- like you said, what exactly? Like you know, like John Boy said at the beginning, what exactly does this different pitch makes do for him? You know, it's great to say that oh, he's keeping hitters off balance, but it's not just that. So I found. What I think I found like two key things that what this better pitch mix has resulted in. So the first thing is that that really jumped out to me is that he's become way less predictable on the first pitch. And that, I mean, I don't know. I think the first pitch of the bat is is super important. I mean, that's sort of one of the tenets of pitching is you got to throw first pitch strikes, get ahead of the batter, right? So that first pitch is really important.
2: you You see so many good hitters around baseball now that that's clearly their strategy is like, I, I mean Altuve, a couple other guys that come to mind that they clearly are hunting first pitch fastballs constantly. And if you just if you're laying them in there, you're gonna get in trouble. I mean he yeah,
0: did these three numbers. games in a row with the first pitch, like first batter <laughs> hit a home run. Don't <laughs> exactly. remember. These numbers
1: are gonna these numbers are gonna astound you. So um so I talked about the first pitch. So before August first, he threw his fastball seventy-five percent of the time on the first pitch. He threw his curve about eight percent and his cutter about 16 percent, right? Um, since August, you know, during the month of August, he's dialed that down to his fastball 53 percent of the time. So that's a huge drop. He's throwing his curveball um, oh wait, actually, no, I'm sorry, it's 47 percent of the time. So that's a -- I mean, he's gone from 71 percent so I'm sorry. Let me, let me start over here. So first pitch before August, before August 1st, 71% fastballs, 11% curves, 17% cutters. Okay. Since August 1st. So that's in the month of August, 47% fastballs, 34% curves, 34% curves and 16% cutters. So he's still in that. He's just. I mean, that thirty-four percent first pitch curveball. That's that's awesome. I mean, it's it's a big surprise there. Um, you don't often, you know. It's and it takes a lot of guts to throw a first pitch curveball. Um, and and the fact is, he's still getting more strikes. He's getting more first pitch strikes um, in August than he did before. Um, so even though he's throwing fewer fastballs, which you think, you know, fastball. Get it in his own. That's easiest to command. He's actually throwing more curves, fewer fastballs, about the same number of cutters, and he's getting more strikes. He's getting ahead in the count a lot more because of this, because he's become less predictable. Um, it's about a 5% increase in the percentage of time that he's been ahead in the count uh, com- before August compared to August. So that's, to me probably one of the most important things that's happened with this, uh, uh, increase with the, uh, with the better pitch mix.
0: It's crazy how it's different. And I, Jake kind of touched on something I wanted to say is when I initially hear this, I'm like, this makes so much sense. Yep. Throw the pitches that are more varying speeds and mix it up more. It's like, why did we not do this? But Jake, you said like this, this time, four months ago, the numbers were saying, "Throw the cutter; it seems to be working." Come on, makes sense. And now it just it, things change.
2: Yeah, and I, I think, I think we danced all around it, and I, like all of this adds up. And I, I mean, I've got another piece of the puzzle. But Katie, where you started with the tunneling and the pitch speed. You know, you said he was throwing seventy one percent fastballs, which you're like, whoa, that's a that's a crazy number for the first pitch, anyways. The second pitch was seventeen percent cutters, which is just a fastball with a little more tail on it. So if you're yeah. a batter and there's a lot of these guys who are first ball, fastball hitters. That you are basically saying there's a ninety percent chance if Paxton throws the first pitch in the zone that it's going to be between ninety two and ninety five. Like I, you can't give major league hitters that much information. So uh, I, I mean, it is looking back at it, it's frustrating. Um, and you, and and this is, I I think it's funny that Jimmy and I get called Larry defenders to a degree. I think what we defend is the not knowing like what Larry Rothschild could have been pounding the table saying, no, we need to throw more curveballs. I don't I don't care if the analytics tell you cutters. We'll never know. Um, you know, maybe I'm giving Larry too much love there, probably, to be honest.
0: I never but, I never have said I think Larry's a good pitching coach. I just said I have no idea if he's good or bad and neither do you does anyone. No one knows besides right. people that are in the room. Exactly. So to speak exactly. on something you don't know about is to be a fool.
2: And I, I think we, Jim, the other thing that I think is a factor to this little recipe we're putting together is we had big expectations for James Paxson. I know you and I were calling it the, the, the best move of the offseason nobody was talking about. And we, we were kind of excited, a lefty at the stadium, these big strikeout numbers. He's out of Seattle, he'll feed off the stadium. Ah, James Paxson, right? And then he he came out, and he was really good. Um, His first month, uh, I mean, he came out, he had five, what, six starts to the tune to a 3 3 ERA. Then he got the knee uh, injury going, and he had a couple short starts but up until june again with with an IL stint he had a 281 ERA i mean we it's easy for us to forget that we had a lot of Paxton momentum going that we were locked into this dude then he has the knee injury and he has a 2 months of bad starts i mean there's no other way to sugarcoat it i know people people have been getting on me for chopping up my stats but uh, June and July, he pitched to the tune of a six three eight ERA in forty eight innings, and no, that's not acceptable. So now they come back, and in August, he's been great. Katie already said those stats, and hopefully after tomorrow, knock on wood, it's six and zero in August with some pretty nice peripherals. I mean, we can look back and kind of laugh at this James Paxton roller coaster ride if he has even, and if he has an okay September. I mean, what's really going to make the bacon, and I mean, it sounds like a New York line, but I mean, if James Paxton has a couple good October starts, uh, we're not going to care about his regular season at all at this point. He's, he's had a lot of good. He's had a chunk of bad, too, and I think it just comes down to that, that New York attitude. Show us, kid. Um, because I, I think we're going to, for how much frustration he gave us for a while, I think we're going to look back and be like, I don't know, Paxton was solid how you feel. It's how I make you feel, Jake. Yeah, it first is. First innings but are bummers. Those first innings were bummers. Yeah.
1: Were. I think we're, the thing don't you Don't act like it's past work. tense
0: because he had one game. Yeah. It's past, bro. It's it's 11 of the last 15 now. I mean, oh, we're. it's
2: bold. Bold, bold It's how care. you feel. It's how you feel. You can't let it bother you anymore. I so still feel. It hasn't bothered. It hasn't bothered me in weeks. Oh, I am still very worried. Like, no, it, like it, no. I. It's part has, of the deal.
0: If he has a gives up some runs in the first inning against Seattle but has a great game it's still
2: like god damn it. That's on you, bro. I mean,
1: I'm still worried but the thing is, the thing to watch there is his pitch mix. And that first pitch as I mentioned before, what's he throwing? Is he keeping hitters off balance? Is he mixing up his pitches? The second point I want to make, and we'll just just to wrap up Paxton here with this pitch mix um, improvement here, is I mentioned he's become less predictable on the first pitch. Not only that is the other key area where he's become less predictable is when he's fallen behind in the count. Um, And so that's kind of what I feel is another really important part of the at bat of the plate appearance. Can a guy can a pitcher bounce back after falling behind? And in the first month, he was horrible at that. Um, and the reason why is when you look at the numbers, and I kind of hinted at this before, before August 1st, he threw his fastball 75% of the time when he was behind in the count. And that cutter another 15%. So that curveball was about 8, percent eight, And when you're that predictable, getting... Getting out when you're behind in the count, getting back ahead or you know whatever, is really hard. And if you look at his numbers um, when he was behind in the count before August, he allowed a batting average of 3.23 and a slugging percentage of 6.46. Uh, those are all like about a hundred percent worse than league average. And uh, his wOBA um, was a 4.79, um, which is pretty ridiculous. Uh, when he got behind in the count. Obviously, uh, pitchers are going to be worse when getting behind in the count, but he was much worse than the average pitcher. So I mentioned those percentages before. Since August, um, when he's behind in the count, he's mixed it up a lot more. He's throwing fewer fastballs. It's down to 53%. His curve has bumped up. It's about tripled to about 24%. So he's 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 confident in that curveball. He's confident in that curveball that he can get a strike when he's behind in the count, and uh, so that's about 24% in his cutter. He's also increased to about 21%. So mixing it up when he's behind in the count, becoming less predictable. Hello, that's a good thing. His slugging percentage behind in the count this year, this uh, this month, 440. His batting average against when behind in the count this month, 240. So significant differences. In um, his ability to become less predictable when behind in an the count, and ultimately, I guess you know, getting back ahead, getting the advantage again, or just inducing weak contact um, when he does—if uh, he does—you know, end the plate appearance with a, in a less favorable count.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. That makes sense. I have one question before we move on because we got to move on to the next yeah. topic. But yeah, Katie, definitely. I've been fighting with people who I don't fight with anymore because I ignore them that uh, love analytics, which we this is an analytics show. You're the head of our analytics department at Talking Yanks. I think, and you've definitely heard me say this, that Paxton gets up for bigger games. Like, he feeds off the crowd. A lot of people, because it's not quantifiable, they just think it's not real or random. Do you think that that's a crazy opinion to have by me? Or do you think that there is like a sense like, you know, he he can gear up for bigger days than others.
1: No, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, okay. I'm a big believer in some of those intangibles and, and the psyche. I've been an athlete my whole life. Like I know that, you know, I get up from when I was back in college and high school, I got up, I, I got a lot more excited about the bigger games. Yeah, you sports, know, the sports psyche is a good way to Adrenaline is real. Adrenaline is a real thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't deny it. anybody who's played a sport, anybody who's played a competitive game, knows yeah, okay. that adrenaline is a right. real thing. That's that's so, a good way to put it. Like, it affects pe- people. Some people more than than others, and that's I think that's where people maybe you know kind of quibble but yeah. some people are able to you know suppress the adrenaline and be steady. Others you know thrive on the adrenaline. Others get yeah. ruined by the adrenaline. But yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, sports psychology is like an entire field, and these people just completely, that say, like pressure situations and clutch don't have any effect on the human. They're completely ignoring like a, a whole s- part of science. The Yankees have a mental health coach and a hype man <laughs> in the room that is on payroll. So, all right, great. I'm glad that we don't have to have that debate here because we're all logical, mm-hmm. rational human beings. Moving well, exactly. on. Domingo Herman, another starting pitcher, doing great things with a good outing against the Dodgers as well. They came out and said he's not on an innings limit or pitch count or anything. I don't believe it, but what do we have on this Katie?
1: Yeah. um, So basically what's happened is just to set the scene here, he's at a uh, 131 and a third innings pitched right now. That's between major leagues and minors when he did his, you know, his, Rehab, little rehab assignment there. His previous high in any season was 123 and two thirds innings pitched. That was back in 2017. Again, combining minors and major leagues uh, back then. So he's already surpassed his innings limit before. Um, The date, the sort of the news that I gathered was that Cashman said that a couple weeks ago there will be no innings limit for Hermont in the postseason. Um, so Boone said that they haven't set any hard limits on him. Um, but you know, he acknowledged that they may get to a point where, you know, when they get some guys back that they may alter some things. So I think that maybe what they do is they're going to kind of dial down some of his starts or or skip him a couple, skip him or give him some extra rest, maybe down the stretch but I, I believe Cashman in that when he go when they go into the postseason, he'll be treated like any other starter. I believe Cashman um, with that regard. Yeah, I do. But I, I do agree with that as well. That I do think that they are going to kind of try and and maybe, you know, not enough if it's going to any shorter starts, but maybe give him an extra day of rest here and there um, because they will have the reinforcements in September with the expanded rosters. Um, so... What I kind of wanted to just point out was the fact that, you know, he actually has not been, as, as much as there is, you know, he's gone over his innings limits, he hasn't actually, you know, had a lot of high-stress outings. Um, so he's only thrown 100-plus pitches once out of his 22 starts. Um, and in 13 of his 22 starts, so that's more than half of his starts, he's thrown fewer than 90 pitches. So yeah. what I consider really to be to be why people would ever go on an innings limit, why they would use innings, is if you're getting really these high stress, high innings, um, high pitch count starts, where yeah. as we know the arm gets fatigued, obviously when as you go through the game. But he has a there's good opportunities once you finish pitching to bounce, you know to between starts, if you have enough rest between starts, you can recover in time. So that's why sometimes I think innings limits are a little bit overrated in terms of using that as a uh, as a kind of a decider of whether this guy is gonna fall off a cliff, um, whether his arm's gonna fall off or something. Um, because you know typically between you know four or five days between starts that's enough to recover. Um, uh, obviously the wear and tear of doing that 22, 23, 24 times, Thirty times a year, that takes a toll, so that has to be considered. But um, but I think it's a good sign that they have not pushed him within the starts very much.
0: Yeah, um, I think the injury helped too because when he came back from the injury, yep. in a couple starts there were 70, 70 pitches or so around there. I do believe him that like once the playoffs are here, it's all hands on deck. And yep. this this is kind of it's not it's not her mom, but it's a similar conversation with Severino. Did you see what Pedro Martinez said? He said uh no. he said that he his he said that in pressure situations he would not throw Severino in any until the postseason, really. Hmm. He said I wouldn't start him, I'd piggyback him and throw him in games with big leads just so he can find the rhythm. He, and he was like in a perfect world for Severino, for Severino's future. The Yankees aren't in the playoffs, and Severino doesn't throw a single pitch until next spring training. That's what that's what Pedro Martinez said. But he said, but the Yankees can't do that. They have to try and win. He said, and and Severino should be able to do it. But he said he'd be very, very careful. He said, I wouldn't start him or throw him in a pressure situation. And I wonder if that's kind of going to be like how they kind of do Herman too. like, hey, go get your five innings. If it's a really stressful five innings, a lot of traffic, a lot of big at bats, then we'll pull you early. If you're breezing through five. Then breeze through the six and seven, and more. So it's not really a definitive pitches or um, innings. It's just kind of like pressure moments.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a valid point. Uh, They're you know pitching in a pressure situation. If you look at his pace, actually, I looked at his pace with runners on base compared to when it's empty, and he actually has one of the fastest paces with the bases empty. Like in terms of you know. Pace is the time between pitches, um, in case people didn't know. So he is, uh, I believe it was like eighth or tenth fastest pace um, when the bases are empty, but when he's got traffic on the bases, um, runners on base, he drops down to about what was it? It was I think it was about fiftieth out of eighty out of eighty qualified uh, out of eighty pitchers in the sample of about I think it was a hundred minimum a 100, 120 innings pitched. So he definitely, f- you know. He, he he gets he feels that pressure and and you know more so than the average pitcher I think um, and I think it would actually you know he can become a really ben a really helpful piece down the stretch in the month of September if they do have to limit him to maybe fifty pitches or um, you know just two, one or two times through the order if you look at his splits it's it's pretty it's pretty big. The third time through the order, it's not as big as as some of the other pitchers on our on our roster. I will admit, but the third time through the order, he his WOBA is a 363. His WOBA allowed, and that's 70th out of 91 pitchers with at least 100 batters faced in that situation. So 70th out of 90 that's that's bad. I mean, it's not not the worst, but it's pretty bad. The first and second time through the order, he has a two. He's allowed a 289 WOBA. And that's 34th out of that same sample. Um, So much better the first and second time through the order. Not very good the third time through the order. And you see the same thing um, if you look at the pitches, the number of pitches thrown. So in his first 50 pitches, he's allowed an OPS of 614. It's a 192 batting average, a 233 OBP, and a 380 slugging in his first 50 pitches. After 50 pitches, the, bat, the, the the line that he's allowed is 284 batting average, 339 OBP, 545 slugging. That's an 8.83 OPS. So about a 240-point uh, increase. Uh, 200, actually, it's more. It's a 270-point increase in his OPS the first 50 pitches compared to the last 50 pitches. Um, so there's something to be said that just you know, he's going to become a more obviously going to become a much more effective pitcher if they just limit him in that. So there will not really be any decline in his performance, or there, or at least there shouldn't be, um, if they if they need to sort of limit his outings uh, in September and over the over the next month. Yeah,
0: So I yeah,
1: think that's it, a that's a really good sign of you know kind of the case to 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 to, to, to put him on a plan whether it's an innings limit, a pitch limit, um, a batter's face limit, whatever you want. Um, the other thing I'll note is that he's been a much more effective pitcher uh, based on the day's rest that he's gotten this season. And I usually don't like to use it because it can get chopped up into, into small samples, but it actually kind of works out pretty perfectly here. Um, so he's made 11 starts on four days rest, and he's made 11 starts on more than four days rest. And then those 11 starts on four days rest, 5.03 ERA, 17 homers allowed, and 8.43 OPS allowed. Those 11 starts on a five or more days rest, a 3.15 ERA, just 11 homers allowed, and a 6.40 OPS.
2: And that's interesting, so, Katie, because I, I, I was actually going to send kind of an a, objective question to you guys and i didn't know if there was a right answer and my my question was going to be if the yankees work in a little extra rest which i think they will in september i don't think it's going to be obnoxious i don't think it's going to be super kitty gloves but if if the yankees do work in rest i was going to say would you rather see him go basically every five days and throw only 50 60 pitches uh, would you like to see them skip him in the rotation? Would you like, and this is what I personally think they're going to do, is I think with a couple off days and either Gumby or maybe an opener day, I think they're going to give the whole rotation kind of these five, six, seven-day uh, Septembers. But I was just going to push it back to you guys to see if, if, if you guys had any thoughts on that or, or if, if there were any stats that jumped out. And that one jumps out a little bit to me, Kate. Yeah, I mean, I'd be in favor
1: of giving guys extra rest in September. Absolutely. Um, I mean, considering that we have a whatever, you know, two starters who are pretty old um, in Happ and Sabathia who have really struggled. They could use the extra rest, obviously. Um, Tanaka. You think you know, Happ and
0: CeCe would get the rest or you think they would be like, we don't care about you guys? Like, they might be I don't know. The, they I... might be the reason... Tanaka Paxton Herman get rest is because they have to pitch
1: I mean it's yeah I mean I think that you know they're less of a priority obviously because I don't think they're going to be part of the postseason rotation at all obviously that's pretty obvious at this point um or it should be obvious but um but I would like to see some of these guys get some rest down down the stretch and it should be it should be manageable
0: yeah All right. The last topic we have, which I think Jake said, or I forget who, but uh, is we're talking about all this dominant pitching. Paxton's a dominant pitcher. Now, Herman's the best pitcher in the world. If you didn't know, the Yankees face some good pitchers. They faced Clayton Kershaw. They faced Ryu. Um, Two guys that Cy Young contention is that is Kershaw not there. Probably not. I think he's top five ERA in all of MLB, though maybe he is.
2: I was trying to think of top lefties in the National League, and I think it's Ryu and Kershaw. I was trying to think of who else jumps out. Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, no, top lefties. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Um,
0: so they did pretty well. They slapped around Ryu real good. Three homers uh, off of Kershaw helped that out. Is this what we can look forward to, Katie? Are they going to be good versus good?
1: I mean, I th- I think so. Um, this was kind of just a, a I was just fooling around with a bunch of light leaderboards and kind of just messing around and stuff. And I was thinking about well, everyone's keeps saying oh after this was after we got swept in Oakland and oh well the Yankees they can't hit good pitching you know whatever yeah we can beat up on a Baltimore we can beat up on uh, on whoever um, but uh, the Blue Jays you know they they suck. Their pitching sucks, um, but uh, but we can't hit the good pitchers. So what I did is I wanted to look at what the Yankees are doing versus uh, the top ten teams in in pitcher ERA. So this is just team wide ERA, and I wanted to also look at you know adjusted ERA. Just I, I wanted to do adjusted ERA to put everybody sort of on the on the same plane: the National League, the American League uh, the ballpark or whatever. So fan has a bunch of adjusted stats. Um, so they adjust for ERA, uh, based on the ballpark and the league. And, um, so I found what the Yankees, so I, then I wanted to compare them obviously to the rest of the, to the rest of the major league baseball. How did the rest of the teams fare against these top 10 teams in adjusted ERA? So these top 10 teams, um, it was kind of actually cool. Cause there's five in the, five in the AL five in the NL. Um, The AL is the Indians, the Astros, the Twins, uh, the A's, the Rays. And in the NL, you get the Braves, the Cubs, the Reds, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals. Um, So that's my 10 set of teams. Obviously, the Yankees haven't played everybody, but whatever. Um, So what it is, so then I plugged it in. And the Yankees, uh, well, you know what? They are the best hitting team against those teams. Wow. They rank... Here you go. They rank first in wOBA. Uh, We know we love that stat. First in OPS, and first in slugging by a lot. So by at least forty, they by about forty points of slugging over the next uh, best team. So basically, not only are they the best team, they are crushing. So slugging and obviously homers, doubles, triples, whatever. They are absolutely crushing this these top ten ERA teams. Um, And that even happens when you adjust for the the hitter ballpark, too. Um, And that's a stat called weighted runs created plus. Uh, They're the best in that as well. Um, So the Yankees, they can absolutely dominate, um, you know, crush what I like to call not not elite pitching, but the best pitching staffs in the majors, um, according to ERA. The other thing I wanted to look at was, okay, cool. Um, so the Yankees, they can bash. They can crush. We know they like to hit a lot of home runs. So how do the Yankees do against the best teams that um, in suppressing home runs, right? So the teams that have allowed the lowest home run rate. Yeah. And I also adjusted that stat for ballpark and for league as well. You can do that on fan graphs. And um, voila they are the best hitting team against those teams as well. Um,
0: so even the, guys, even, even the guys better. that don't hit up, even the guys that don't allow home runs, Yankees still crush we, those guys more than any other team.
1: Yes, and it's even better because as a, the, the, the top 10 ERA teams against um, the Yankees against those, they were actually only uh, fourth in batting average and fifth in OBP. Um, they were first in slugging. They were first in OPS. They were first in wOBA, but they were only fourth in and uh, fifth in the in those other two triple slash categories against these home run teams. You know what? They are first in every single category: batting average, OBP, slugging, OPS, isolated power, wOBA, weighted runs created plus whatever you want to say. They're the best team in the majors against those teams. And it's a lot of the same teams, a couple different ones in there. Um, you've got uh, the Nationals and the Mets in there instead of, uh, instead of a couple NL teams. And actually Boston is in there um, instead of one of, the, uh, one of the AL teams. But it's a lot of the same overlap, but still a couple different teams. Um, but it just goes to show you that you, know, you can put your fears aside. When you look at teams as a whole – in terms of ERA, in terms of home run rate allowed, the top ten teams, the Yankees are the best at hitting those against those teams.
0: Such good news. Thank you. Yeah,
1: I mean that's not to say they're going to be the best going forward, but it's been you know. Well, it's good to, be the, this so it the good to be the best so far.
0: Being the best currently puts you in a better position to be the best going forward than someone who's the not the best.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I like that cool. one.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I I think Katie, awesome per usual. I know something. Jimmy and I were getting a little snarky after the Dodgers series because so many people told us how bad we were. Um, <laughs> and I I think the other part that's that's funny about it, uh, we we have a few people that reach out to us whether it's through talking baseball or this that are like, do you guys think the Yanks can actually win the World Series? Like, be straight with me. And it's like, yeah, these guys are so good. Um, the the hitting is unbelievable. The bullpen, which we didn't talk about this episode, I mean the flex they pulled on the Dodgers, whoa. Oh yeah. Um and like when you mentioned Domingo, his stats the first two times through the order, that's probably all he gets asked in the playoffs. If James Paxton can keep this thing going, playoff Tanaka, what do we get from Sevi? Like this team is so, so talented. Like we're gonna have a shot at it.
0: Yeah, odds are pretty good. I mean, odd. Well, odds are bad because there's 30 teams. One of them is going to do it. Mm-hmm. But of the teams uh, that are positioned to make a run and be good, the Yanks. Why not? it just it's just crazy to think that. Like, do you really think they got a chance? Yes, I do. I'm excited about it. I'm actually getting sad because the season's almost over.
2: Whoa.
1: Oh, not uh, almost over. How? I mean, almost over means.
0: You know, it a couple months.
1: weeks left. We got plenty of weeks left. Don't Katie, worry.
0: Katie, I was telling Jake this. It was the first time I pulled up the schedule and I scrolled all the way and like, you know, I pull it up on Baseball Reference and I'm scrolling down and I'm seeing all the games they have played uh, and then all of the games that are left fit in one window. You know what I mean? Like Ooh, I don't have a, to... That's a key. I don't have to scroll up indicator. and down to see how many mm-hmm. games are left. It fits in one window on my browser and I was like, damn
1: that's a mile post yep that's the mile post i'm
0: gonna miss baseball <laughs> but i'm so excited for the postseason and all that but just a little bit like ah oh, shit offseason blows it's a
2: somber ending
0: yeah that does it oh Everyone no we're sad. not ending yet oh yeah we we're do. not ending yet we have oh oh we have oh the sharpest staff.
2: Yes, we do. Does that bring? Does Thank that bring you, you back to your ESPN days, Katie? If we do the sharpest stat,
1: um, uh, not really. No. Okay, Sorry. that's fine. Number <laughs> nine, <laughs> nine, 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 nine. Okay, that's nine. better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do 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 yep. You had that in the background, maybe. Um. So, uh, actually, I just realized this. This is another hat tip to uh, to our best friend Jakey Stats here. Um, and that I am going to talk about Glaber Torres and his amazing improvement from last year. So once again, Jakey, you provided some information for, uh, inspiration for me. Um, I thank you for that. Um, but the rest of the work, the rest of the work was all mine. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we all know that Glaber is having an outstanding season and the improvement that he's made from last year is pretty remarkable. Um, there's three areas that I kind of wanted to highlight, um, and the first one is that I think is the mo- the biggest, and this is kind of one of the most important things for me, is this, the the uh, decrease in the strikeout rate. So it's gone from about 25% to about 20%, which is incredibly good. Well, how good? It's the 10th biggest decline in strikeout rate of any player that had at least 400 plate appearances last year and 400 plate appearances this year. Uh, so that's 250 plate of players. Only nine guys decreased their strikeout rate more than Glaber, which is incredible. Um, And usually what you say is, okay, that's great. But not only did he do that, he also increased his slugging percentage. Normally there's a trade-off, right? You get a little bit less strikeouts, a little bit more contact. You kind of, the power may not, is not going to be sustained. He actually has one of the 25 best increases in slugging percentage. It's 25th out of these 250 p- players. Pretty good. Um, and then the third thing I looked at was contact percentage. Uh, and, you know, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with strikeout rate, but not, 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 not necessarily so. He had the third largest increase in contact percentage of any player in that sample of, 200, of 250 players. So he's making a lot more contact, not striking out as much, and hitting for more power, um, which are three really, really good things. Um, but I wasn't done there, I got, I got to say. So then I wanted to, to look at guys that had similar increases, similar improvements, right? So I looked at players that were top 10 in decreasing their strikeout, strikeout rate, top 25 in increasing their slugging, and top 10 in increasing their contact percentage in this group of 250 players, right? So that's where Glaber is, basically, right? It's Glaber and it's Cody Bellinger are the only players who fit into all three of those categories. And we know Cody Bellinger has had a fantastic season this year, obviously, MVP consideration. We forget, though, that last year was a bit of a struggle for him. It was 2017 when he had his breakout season, but last year um, he declined. But he did a lot of work in the offseason um, to make some improvements. I suggest you know if you're if you're interested in that, go Google it, and you'll p- come up with a lot of articles. But Glaber essentially is doing a lot of the same things, has done a lot, made a lot of the same improvements um, that Cody Bellinger has uh, from last year to this year. Awesome. So there <laughs> is your stat of the
2: week.
0: Awesome, Glaber Jay. is good.
2: And that's yeah, I know I when I when I posted that tweet, I some of the first comments were like, Yeah, and those strikeouts being down is huge and it's like, Well, hold on now. Like just you know, if if everything else was up and the strikeouts were the same, that's still a really good thing. But I think it is really important to note that with the strikeouts going down, everything else going up, you can point to the strikeouts and say that is a noticeable area of growth in his game because, like you said, with the slugging, normally, normally that doesn't line up. You normally have to sacrifice one for the other, so that's great.
0: Wow. Oh. God, mother damn it. The, well, ML, the MLB just came out and said their time should not have been called.
2: Really? Wow.
0: Yeah. Whoa.
2: Go go get those Dodger fans. I am quotaring
0: it right now. But I had two hundred angry Dodgers fans telling go 2000. me Go two thousand. That makes you sound big time.
2: Otherwise. Go two thousand. Yeah. I'll I'll end with a, a little bit of brighter nose. They they announced Seve's gonna start Sunday, thirty five pitches at uh ah, t- Tampa Trenton, or I believe. Yeah.
1: Trenton, nice.
2: Nice. nice. All right. Good news. Good news
0: back. all around. We should have. We should have swept the Dodgers, or at least had a better Yay. chance. And Sebby's coming chance. back, and that ends this episode of Sharp Stats. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. We will be back on Sunday. No, tomorrow night.
2: When we'll day? be back
0: tomorrow night. Sharp tomorrow Stats
2: night. might have a bye week next week, but okay. that's Sharp Stats
0: okay. bye week. Look out for that. Thank you. As oh, thank you, Kate. can't talk. Thank you as always. Thank you very much. See you later. Jake sucks. Goodbye. Go Yanks. Tell him grams.
1: Go Yankees.